I'm ready. I am so ready. I'm ready for yet another episode of the Ain't I a Woman podcast. This is episode number eight. Eight question that we have been kind of delving into um, all the different ways that our lives are touched by faith-based traditions and where we stopped, I think we got into a little bit about our backgrounds and now we want to just talk about a little bit more of the issues that come up. I feel part two is going to be centered around, but before we get into that, I think we have some dusties of the day. We definitely have some dusties of the day. We have two dusties of the day. Mm. One individual dusty and one collective dusty. Mm-hmm. So the collective dusty of the day is the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> Shout out to Trash Buckets, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, Alito, Amy Barrett. <laughs> is it Samuel, Samuel Alito? Alito. Who's the last Dusty I'm missing of the five? Uh, and you unknown Dusty, goddammit, because nobody knows who the fuck you are <laughs> on the Supreme Court. Was it, was it Roberts? <laughs> I, don't, I think Roberts was not part of it. Well, maybe, maybe he was. We don't know. But whoever you unknown last Dusty of the Supreme Court are, we're sick of you too. <sighs> Y'all are trash. This overruling or overturning of Roe v. Wade is... I mean, it's a lot. It's not even really something we can like joke about too much because it actually has real consequences for the lives of girls and women all over the country. Um, when people talk about how hard we go on like this podcast, on other platforms, when we're talking about patriarchy and it's like, oh, why do y'all care so much? And like, y'all hate men, blah, blah. It's like, no, these are... We're talking about things like this, right? The reason why we talk about some of those smaller things that we talk about is because we understand that all of it leads to decisions like this, right? The disregard for women and non-men, the disregard for for women and non-men's bodily autonomy, the degradation, the disrespect, et cetera, all of it actually leads to decisions like this, which have real life consequences for people's material conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we be raging against the, the patriarchy. Um, I don't. I feel like B to me in Asia. I don't know what y'all want to add about the the. And shout out to Clarence Thomas for being the dustiest of the dusties of the Supreme Court. Shout out to Queen Anita Hill who tried to warn us, but y'all were so pressed about that high tech lynching that that man invoked, even though he didn't give a fuck about black people and no other time um, in his history. Um, Yeah, shout out to like Coonan in 2022. Uh, Asia, beat me. Well, I want to apologize to Justice Roberts. Roberts urged the court not to overturn Roe v. Wade and is our chief justice. So I just want to, that's why his name came to mind only because he's our chief justice, not because he had anything to do with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Who was the the last Dusty? I'm sorry? Who was the last Dusty? The one we couldn't Amy Comey Barrett was the- You did? Did you say Neil Gorsuch? I don't think we said Gorsuch. It was Neil Gorsuch. Gorsuch. You unknown Dusty. 
<laughs> unknown we can keep gorsuch's in unknown dusty i think that's actually pretty awesome but yeah y'all just just utterly heartbreaking and in some of the conversations that i heard you know it was like every single one of these justices lied and said that they would respect starry diseases that they would uphold precedent and then went ahead and did this just trash human being no integrity whatsoever lied to get the job lied about what their qualifications were when we wanted to verify that they would not do something that would be so so detrimental to the lives of, of families, women, just everybody. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I understand just how far reaching the impact of this decision is going to be. But I have been hearing a lot from people who are really just worried about the people in their lives who whose reality has become much darker much restrictive and much more dangerous as far as the health options that they have. It's just, it's a terrifying time. And now I'm looking at this image of Gorsuch at his confirmation hearings, and he literally looks like the Grim Reaper. It's, I'm going to go on mute. Mm-hmm. Be to me. <laughs> I can't recover from Neil Gorsuch looking like the Grim Reaper. But yeah, all of that and then some yeah there's not really much to say after that it's just been a very disappointing week and here we are so yeah and I can't help but to think about all the young girls whose lives will forever be changed because they'll have to you know continue with unwanted pregnancies and have children that they have no desire to parent or you know no resources or perhaps they're just not equipped to parent, I can't help think about the number of girls who won't get to go to college, who'll have to drop out of school. I mean, the the number of parents who already have kids that they can barely, you know, take care of, right, in this oppressive capitalistic system, who now are going to have another mouth to feed. There's just so many people who are going to ultimately be impacted by this, particularly gender marginalized folks, non-men. It's just, it's, it sucks. And especially as you see all these other nations getting more progressive, right? We see Ireland, for instance, a Catholic country, right? Introducing more, more progressive legislation around abortion and abortion rights. You see Mexico guaranteeing the right to abortion. So it's, it's just a sign of like where this country is headed, that you literally see nations around the world inching towards progress. And we the U.S. continues to take like 10 steps back, backwards at every turn. It's unfortunate, but you know, hopefully people are still fighting the good fight. Shout out to all the, the corporations, even though y'all suck your employees dry, but you, some of y'all stepped up in this instance to provide uh, funding for people who need help accessing abortions. And you know, just shout out to all the, all the organizations fighting the good fight. If there, Asia, did you want to say something? Yeah, I just really appreciated you taking a moment to lift up all the people who've been doing this work long before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, who will continue to do this work just tirelessly. Just want to make sure that we definitely include a list of organizations that people can reach out to along with this episode. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. So we actually have two dusties of the day. One Dusty was 
you know, unplanned because we didn't know that this ruling was coming down from the Supreme Court. And the second Dusty is actually related to today's episode, which is about religion. The second Dusty of today is Pastor John Gray. Not John Gray. John Gray. I'm going to drag him. I'm going to drag him. So Pastor John Gray um, came into the limelight, I would say, a couple years ago as somebody, you know, proclaiming to be this man of God. And, you know, he's the pastor of this huge mega church somewhere in the South. I can't remember where. And I remember Pastor John Gray because he used to go around preaching about how he was, I'm not sure if he was a virgin or a celibate before he got married, one of the two, which, whichever one of the two. And so he, he would go around, you know, doing interview after interview, talking about how he waited for his wife and yada, 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 you know, all, all the religious fuckery that we, we know don't really be operating. People be fucking in church. Don't let them lie to you. We'll talk about that this episode. Oh, me, don't look at me like that. You know it's true. <laughs> Pastor Gray is getting dusty of the day because since he's gotten married, despite going around telling everybody about how celibacy is the way of the Lord and abstinence and he waited, he has been caught cheating on his wife at least 50, 11 times. Okay? Ooh, Shout out ooh. to his wife, Aventure Gray. Every other month or day or year, Pastor John Gray is caught up in some scandal where he is either having an extramarital affair or attempting to engage in an extramarital affair. He's constantly being blasted by his mistresses. This is like literally time three, right? That I'm aware of. I'm sure there have been more that just haven't come to my attention. At one point in time, he was cheating. One of his mistresses released audio of him like talking about his wife, talking about mm. how she don't, she always feeding the kids pizza, like dogging Aventer, his wife. So this is the kind of like fuckery he engages in. But in addition to that, Pastor John Gray also likes to make these really large grand displays of buying his wife gifts as like, I think of these gifts as like, sorry, I cheated on you gifts. So he's always <laughs> gifting her some kind of Hummer or Bentley or Benz or, or something. But it's just this never-ending cycle, right? Instead of him just admitting that, like, look, maybe I'm not someone who can be in a monogamous relationship. Maybe I'm not someone who's meant to be married. Every time he gets caught cheating, he positions it as some kind of, like, spiritual warfare. Mm. <laughs> there is no spiritual warfare. It's penis warfare. <laughs> you are struggling. I said it. I said it. <laughs> yeah, there, there is no, this is not spiritual warfare. This is just like decisions that you're making about people you want to sleep with and maybe you're not meant to be monogamous. But in, in addition to Pastor Gray, John Gray, his wife Aventer is also always, you know, steeped in this like spiritual warfare rhetoric, talking about Jezebels and all these women who are out there, you know, trying to ruin her marriage and, and the devil is working through these women. I just want some of y'all to understand that all of these issues are not issues of the spirit. <laughs> these are simple issues of like, you like having sex with people other than your wife. You married that man for money. And you know what they say, when you marry for money, you earn every penny. Okay? <laughs> so I, I said it. I said it. Mm-hmm. Best advice, when you marry for money, you earn every penny. So I just want Pastor John Gray and his lovely wife, Aventure, Aventure John Gray, to like, Stop all this religious nonsense that they're doing every time a scandal 
comes to the forefront about him cheating on her. Stop with all the spiritual rhetoric about how it's warfare and it's the devil. Your husband just can't keep it in his pants. And how dare they go out and try other wait, people? Zimmy, isn't yeah. that what isn't that what y'all Christians teach us? Please, I, I know no such thing. I taught no such thing. <laughs> wait a minute, Zimmy. There's, let's let's hear this pushback. You know, go, give me the pushback. <laughs> isn't that what y'all Christians teach us that? You know, men are gonna wander and they're gonna do their bullshit, but it is incumbent upon you as a good Christian woman to be faithful, to be enduring, and to be prayerful. I mean, you better pray for a new husband. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, I thought you wasn't allowed to get divorced. Actually, do we want to just get into some, I'm done dragging John Gray. Do we want to get into it? Because we're going to get into misogyny in the church, mm. sexuality and sexual repression, right? Because Pastor Gray is definitely a story of sexual me, repression. Get into me, it, since yeah. you brought it up, uh, okay. let's go ahead and let's talk about religion and the standards of heteronormativity because it's mm. not only these ideas around misogyny, but it's also these ideas around more broadly around sexuality, gender identity, uh, that is really not landing with the vast majority of the human population. Mm. (laughs) It hasn't really fit what we understand to be the historical trajectory of human civilization. And yet, beyond all comprehension, we see this kind of relentless adherence to these ideas about what a loving, committed, long-term relationship has to look like, especially when the rearing of children is involved. So given this example that you've brought to our attention of Pastor Gray out of South Carolina, Ooh. Shout out to uh, the Relent- Church Relentless. What is it? Rel- relentless Church? Not Relentless. Relentless Penis. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop it. Touch not my prophet. Touch not my something and do my prophet no harm. God, I'm sorry. I don't know if he's a prophet, though. Oh, God. <laughs> Touch not my anointed. That's what it is. But I don't know if he anointed. How do we separate? Because I've never known a Black faith-based tradition based in biblical teachings that did not include these ideas about monogamy and, you know, purity and chastity and, and these kind of really repressed sexualities that were required to be in favor with the good Lord above. So, Zimmy, can you as the resident Christian on the show, help us understand how you've made peace or re-evaluated. And can you tell us about the religious doctrine you were taught coming up and mm. where you are now with in terms of sexuality? Wait, hold Ooh, on. Girl. Why do we have to center Zimmy? Because and, she's and the only Zimmy. Christian around for us to drag. And because you're rolling a blunt. Girl... Go back to Romeo your blood. Don't worry about who's centering me. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, me to me. Come on. You. Do you? So, me to me, do you want to start? No, I, I don't. <laughs> 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 I'm 
really y'all don't want to help me to meet you. She just don't want you to start. <laughs> oh, okay. So growing up for me, my understanding of the church was that, and I wouldn't have used the language of sexually repressive, but at my big age of 34, definitely a lot of sexual repression, I would say. So, you know, when I was growing up, my understanding of sex was that sex is something that only happens within the confines of a marriage. There's, you know, sex is something that's heteronormative. You're supposed to remain a virgin until you're married. And, you know, there's a story of the Jezebel, you know. <laughs> you know like all the things Shout you can think Jezebels. of. Shout out to the Jezebels. Yeah. I'll, I'll have my little vulnerable moment. I would say growing up, probably up until I graduated college, I definitely had, I still had really strong ideas and beliefs around sex being something that had to happen within the confines of marriage. And it wasn't until I graduated from college and kind of had a little bit of distance between like myself and like going to church and all of that and started reevaluating just a lot of different things about Christianity and starting to try to figure out what it, how I wanted to move in my faith that I really started to reevaluate some of the ideas about sex that I, I grew up believe, like thinking and believing, even though, even when I questioned it, right. Just kind of being like, yeah, oh, let me, let me just put these questions out of my mind when I had questions. And so, but even after that, I would say, even after I kind of, you know, did some of that self-work and discovery, et cetera, et cetera, I still probably until like my mid to late twenties always had a tremendous amount of, a tremendous amount of guilt and shame around having sex, right? Like I would say that was like one of the, the hallmarks of the people I date, any kind of relationship I was in, anybody I was dating, it, it wasn't that I wasn't having sex. It was just, it was laced with so much like guilt and like, it was laced with so much guilt in this sense that like, I just wasn't doing right. Now granted, it wasn't laced with enough guilt for me to stop. So ah. <laughs> okay. shout out to John Gray. <laughs> shout out to those of us that know no shame. <laughs> but, you know, it definitely impacted how I thought about men, how I thought about sex, how I thought about myself as a sexual being. And it was, I would say that probably from a lot of my 20s up until my late 20s, sex positivity is a thing. I was definitely very sex negative. Um, and I think all of that was, some of it was rooted in like some other, some stuff we'll get into in other episodes, but I would say probably like 75% of it was rooted in church and the way I was raised. So that's my little story there about sexual repression in the church. And I really appreciate you sharing that, Zimmy. And you know, for me, and I think I shared last episode a bit about coming up as Jehovah's Witness, and there's just really no room for that kind of evolution, right? So say, for example, if you were baptized and you know, the religion mandates that sex is to only happen within the confines of marriage. If you have sex outside of that, then you're running the risk of being disfellowshipped out of the organization. Yeah. So there is no, you cannot remain Jehovah's Witness and have like a sexually liberal view <laughs> of what sexuality is supposed to look like. And I know that's true for some other faith traditions as well. 
But I guess that's, that's that would be one of the questions I would want to ask you. Like in your faith tradition, there was room for you to kind of say, hey, I still want to be Christian, even though I don't want to adhere to the strict view of what sexuality has to look like as a Christian. I don't think so. I think that the main difference is that the church community is not as wound tightly as maybe like the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Where, you know, there's no excommunication that's happening because people are having sex because they would excommunicate 90%, 95% of the church, right? Like there are no familial ties aren't severed, right? So the networks are not as interwoven and as interconnected, I would say. For my assumption about how they are for those who are practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, wait a minute, Zemi. I'm not saying that the sex isn't happening. Baby is oh. happening, okay? All I'm, saying is, <laughs> all I'm saying is I would not be able to take to a public platform like this and discuss the sex that was happening. Oh, but who, yeah, yeah, I, that, right. Because who's going to check me? Who going to check me, boo? Right, there's no... And also, yeah, so I think in that sense, you are right, right? Like, even when I think about some of the Christian women that I listen to who talk about, like, sex and sexual repression within the church right there is some space for that now is it the mainstream no if you show up in any church on any given sunday today people will but you know it's interesting people no one ever talks about sex right like once in a while some pastor will give like a little sermon about waiting till you're married or something but i think generally everybody has the understanding that like people are having sex so yeah there is a little bit it's kind of like don't ask don't tell almost I feel like when it comes to sexuality in the church, it's like, we don't want to know about what kind of sexual activity you're engaged in, as long as you don't bring it to the forefront of church. All, you know, we can act like it's not happening. But yeah, I think for me, my biggest issue is just, I think it does, it, it does a number on women. Honestly, we always talk about patriarchy and misogyny on this, on this platform, obviously. But I think that the sexual repression that comes out of the church really does a mental number on women. Mm, wow. And around the performance of gender that's kind of mandated in these more biblical, but then also these more like cultural ways within the church, it was always made plain to me that my performance of womanhood was like essential to this whole idea of fitting into family, fitting into God's plan, because you needed to be a woman to do this work of not only conceiving and bearing and birthing children, but raising them and also being a suitable partner to the men who are going to be the leaders of these churches, of these communities, of these societies. And I thought that gender identity and sexuality were synonymous. And again, you often hear this from many people of certain faith-based traditions. It's hard for them to separate the idea that you can have a certain performance of gender and have a totally different sexuality that is not consistent, quote unquote, with what your perceptions are about a gender identity. And I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to that kind of indoctrination where even to this day as a queer person, I believed that 
the way I showed up in my gender expression was to convey to other people what my sexuality was, what my sexual preferences were. And it's still one thing that is always like really amazing to me where I meet a person who presents very femme and performs femininity in these very like strict, not strict, but these very conventional ways only to come to find out that they are like as queer as a $3 bill. (laughs) (laughs) And they are like, I mean, cause for me, one of the reasons why I fail at performing womanhood in the ways that I'm supposed to is because I'm a queer person because I have a queer sexuality. That's why I fail. And so now that I'm in a different place in my sexual development and my gender identity, the way I show up and perform womanhood is totally informed by this religious indoctrination that I experienced coming up. So I just kind of wanted to say that for other folks who can kind of identify exactly what I mean, like being in spaces with queer folk who perform gender in certain type of ways and kind of like being like taken aback or like Mm -hmm. looking at yourself and reflecting on all the indoctrination that you were inundated by that convinced you that people who perform gender in certain ways will most certainly have a particular kind of sexuality and they don't. And then you don't. And so you're always like... It kind of creates a cognitive dissonance within yourself where you're always looking at yourself, looking how you show up and you say, I see what other people see when I look at myself, but I know inside myself, that's not the truth at all. And it just, it's just a very interesting thing. I feel like I'm still a recovering Christian. I feel like I'm still. Mm. What do you mean by that, Asia? I mean, I feel like I still have like so many of those idea like it's a part of it's like I have to actively remind myself that these things aren't true um I have to check in with myself when I'm making these kinds of assumptions or when I'm treating myself with these kind of restrictive ideas you know the way I regard myself with these kind of restrictive ideas I hope that makes it a little more clear. That's why I'm so grateful for this episode, for this topic, because it's really given me an opportunity to sit back and reflect on all the ways that these ideas really are designed to like restrain people to certain sexualities, to certain sexual practices. So much of this is about sexual repression. And even somebody like John Gray is like, I want to bust out of this. And John Gray still hasn't realized that there's an ethical way to have the sex that he wants. The problem with what he's doing is that it's very unethical, the way he's been treating Aventor for all of these years, embarrassing her publicly again and again and again and again, and offering her some monetary remuneration when the harm he's done to her is psychic and spiritual and even to his own children. So it's totally unacceptable, but we understand that it's a part of religious indoctrination that is harmful to people. Yeah. Bidemi, what about you? What were your experiences like growing up with religion and ideas about heteronormativity? Bidemi gave us the thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, religion was something that was ever present in my upbringing. And I feel like for a lot of people who are Nigerian, 
you can't really talk about your childhood or your upbringing without mentioning the religion that your parents predominantly were a part of. And for me, like I spoke on the last episode, my dad was Muslim and my mom was Christian. So there was a lot of like a little bit going on there. But I think overall, as I've gotten older and just hmm, (laughs) getting to learn a lot more things about not just Nigeria as a country, but like the people who really live there, it is really interesting uh, when you talk about the way that, or I should say the, the role that religion plays in their lives and the way that religion is constantly seeped into everything that people do, not just in Nigeria, but like in different parts of the world. And so I don't really think that like anybody can talk about their upbringing without talking about religion to a degree, to an extent. And I think that a lot more now we have more Black people who are willing to speak to some of like the faults and some of the errors of religion and speak to the way that endorsing one religion or the other could really mean that certain people within your community are not recognized as human beings or their lives are put in danger in one way or the other. So for me, the relationship with religion has always been like pretty contentious because I've always had pushback. I've always had questions. I've never been like willing to just accept it holistically. And then when I then look out and see the impacts of religion in like different parts of where I come from, I'm like, okay, I can really, really see now like why I and so many other people would have like a contentious relationship with religion. So like for me, religion has never just been like roses and, you know, something that I can look to anchor onto, but it's more so been something that I feel like from the jump, I've always realized it's not, it's not really for me. And therefore, yeah. I've always like looked for the things that make it weird and make it not, make it not super, make it not really something that I feel comfortable with. And because of that, I've never looked fondly upon religion, you know, as a whole. Yeah, I mean... For me, there's so many things that like I think about now, particularly as it relates to religion, heteronormativity, and sex. When I think about like purity culture, for instance, you know, they have these little like dances, like father-daughter dances, where girls get these like, are they called purity rings or promise rings? Child, I don't know. They call what do they, they call promise rings? Something. It's either a purity ring or a promise ring, and these girls essentially like pledge their virginity until marriage and there was a a really high profile not high profile there was a case that went viral not a case there was a a story that went viral a couple years ago where this pastor presented his daughter his daughter was getting married at her wedding he presented his daughter's husband a certificate of her virginity disgusting (laughs) right but people were like applauding it and 
So she she was one of the, I guess when she was a young girl, she had taken one of those purity, promise ring, promises, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know what it's called, but y'all know what I'm talking about. So even when I think about things like that and I like relate it back to, even when people aren't religious, they don't think about the ways in which religion impacts their understanding of sex and sexuality, particularly for women and girls. I think about like T.I. and him going to his daughter's gynecology exams to ensure that she was still a virgin, right? All of that comes out of religion, right? Even when people aren't religious, like T.I. ain't nothing but... <laughs> no one's ever accused T.I. of being the name of God, okay? But even he still, like, holds on to these ideas that come straight out of religion, right? Around purity and virginity. Even when I think about things like soul ties, which <laughs> is, I mean, for those who don't know, soul ties is basically this idea that every time you have sex with someone, your soul is tied to them. I think that's like the... <laughs> Not, a, not as laughing. <laughs> why are you laughing? Tell me why you find it funny. I was laughing because it just sounds like people who haven't had much sex. That's what it sounds like. But this, the thing about soul ties, though, is to try to prevent women from having sex with like more partners. Right. Soulless tie. If you're gonna tell penis. somebody that every time you have sex with somebody that that person's a piece of that person is going to reside within you and you're gonna carry them forever. Can you imagine y'all? You don't have a soul tie with your mother whose vagina in the uterus you came from. Mm. You once shared an entire physical being with her. And you do not, with them, let me say, and you do not have a soul tie with them, but you might, your soul might be tied to somebody you might have spent 10 minutes with. Like, come on. Come on. If that, they if it was even 10 minutes. Minutes, 10 minutes total, including foreplay. <laughs> like, it's a little silly. Tie. Come on, please. It's, it's pretty silly, I, I think we have to say, but I think it really comes from folks who, again, it's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of, you know, stories about the quote unquote dangers of sex. And so for people who want to be safe from the quote unquote dangers of sex, the unknowns of sexual intimacy, because there are a lot of unknowns, right? And for some people, it makes sexual encounters exciting. And for other people, it makes it a terrifying and something that they would like to avoid. And to me, that same girl who had her virginity offered by her father up to her husband at her wedding, her anxieties and discomforts and fears about sex they don't leave on the wedding night. Her feelings of shame and discomfort and fear and anxiety remain throughout her sex life. And so I think that's one of the things that's so damaging about all of this is that we never talk about what harm it can do to people far beyond the moment where it's officially okay for you to be engaging in sexual activity. You've demonized sex and fear-mongered sex most of someone's life by that point in time. And so now they're expected to just kind of switch modes and become these these sex queens, these sex goddesses to please their husbands in every way their husbands you know, would want or could imagine. 
And so often these same women who have all these puritanical ideas about sexual intimacy, they're called by their husbands to do what some of us would describe as very vanilla sex act, like fellatio. <laughs> or your husband. No, would- but fellatio isn't vanilla. You're not supposed to be given fellatio. Well, it's supposed to be missionary. For most people, it's, you know what right? I mean? I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm, I'm really shading somebody from a personal experience, be to me. I'm shading somebody who had these very puritanical ideas about sexual intimacy, got married, and they was asked. Was not comfortable doing that, but that was just so. That doesn't lead to procreation. It's not Christian. It exactly. It doesn't lead to procreation. Why is don't that put all this on Christians? Do? I know it's not. No, 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 Jimmy, don't run, don't run, don't no, try to escape it now. I don't try to escape it now. I didn't say which faith tradition this person came from. I'm just saying that they didn't understand why fellatio was something that they should be doing and therefore guess what she also didn't understand why cunnilingus was something she might want so yeah that sounds like a christian woman so she the girl was she was blocking her own blessings her own orgasms were also being circumvented by this idea that all sex acts should result in in, in in procreation of some variety and if they don't then they were useless. that sounds very christian to me. i have a question though can we get an update on where our good sis is today has she opened up her mouth sis, <laughs> i'm disgusting okay, sis has, has she opened up her heart <laughs> this has children but sis is divorced though that's hard yeah mm. unfortunately over that though mm. i mean but also, could we talk about what happens when your entire identity is rooted in virginity and then it no longer exists? Well, so what because I if, wanted to if say... If you get married, right? Just real quick. If you get married, right? Presumably you're having sex, right? So if all your value and your worth came from this virginity, air quotes, what happens when you're not a virgin anymore? Like, what happens mm, that's when you're worth? That's yeah. why you're not ever supposed to get divorced. That's why you're supposed to stick Oh, because your new them. worth comes from marriage. That's so why... Marriage. Ah, I missed that. That's why there's this thing that a lot of women... And I will say, because this is one of the critiques that I had of Nollywood and, like, the Nigerian movie industry was this consistent message all around for women to be enduring and women to just to stick beside niggas regardless. And these were typically like women, it was typically women of Christian faith. Like there was every once in a while we would see a a movie about a woman who was Muslim, but it was typically women of Christian faith. I was about to shame the hell out of them, but I ain't gonna do it. I was about to say, well, if they make me, I ain't gonna do it. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, there's 
you know, when you think about all of the things that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Christianity specifically right now, but when you think about all of the things that people in different cultures, the way that they interpret Christianity, all of the things that they require women to to be staunch and to stick to, when you start to like go down the line of logic and now, now I understand like why women are not supposed to divorce their husbands, right? Because once you've been married and once you've been touched, quote unquote, now you don't have a lot of value. Now I understand mm. why women who are widows do not get remarried, particularly if they have children, because it's not another man's responsibility quote-unquote to take care of your child like now you begin to understand more of like why there's all these like restrictions that are put around women and then when you kind of when you sit back and what do you mean is this unique to christianity because i'm not saying i'm not saying this okay okay i got it never i thought that was the argument no no no, because i could i could talk about islam Child. No, no, I, mis- I misunderstood. I thought that's what you initially said. No, no yeah, no, no. It, it's definitely not unique to Christianity. Like, we, we could also name the same thing for Islam. And when you really want to sit back and we, if you want to drag, like, both religions, you really could. And you could really talk about how there are all these things that women are supposed to abide by and abstain to that is not necessarily expected the same of men. Which in enters my own issue with religion to begin with. I hate the fact that like I'm living in the same house with somebody where we're following the same religion, but there's different standards, right? Like in enters this issue of all these other things about the way that women are allowed to exist and the way that women are allowed to be autonomous in combination with all the other shit that culturally that women have to abide by. When I think about religion and I think about the way that Nigerian women have had to exist within religion, the way that Black women who exist in different cultures have had to exist in religion, all I can think about is how fucked up it is and how oppressive it is, which is why like, sometimes when people try to tell me about, well, there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that, there's that I'm like, yeah, there is, but... I feel like all this other stuff is like really glaring, which is where like me and we start to butt heads about her commitment. To her oh, life. we're not butting heads about my commitment because my commitment's not changing. We're not butting heads about your commitment, but we're butting heads about like the realities of your commitment. Fair or unfair, I get to, and it's actually unfair, right? Because I understand that there's a larger structure that is beyond just me as an individual. However, me as an individual, I get to make decisions around how I choose to engage and practice. I understand that it doesn't change the fact that there are still consequences. I understand that it's beyond me as an individual. Like Christianity has ramifications for people globally that exists beyond my individual choices of how I want to practice or not practice. So I'm not doing that to make it seem like Christianity or Islam or whatever is not culpable. But on a personal level, I do get to make decisions about how I want to exist, what type of sexual being I want to be. And I think 
One of the things that we haven't talked about it, as it relates to sexual repression, we talked about like purity culture and like the myth of soul ties and all that bullshit. By the way, if you're out there believing in soul ties, don't. Your soul's, your soul's not tied to somebody whose name you probably don't even remember. It's impossible. <laughs> um, but the other part is in Asia, you brought this up earlier, the repression of queerness, right? It, not even just queerness, even like you talking about that woman that didn't want to get hit, like, there's just the repression of anything that is different. I'm thinking of these people who are in these like uber duber Christian marriages. And I'm like, what is their sex life? Like, do y'all get to explore? Do y'all get to enjoy? Do you get to experience the like full, like as someone who, you know, I, you know, I, I like, I'm monogamous Maureen, you know, I, I like a good monogamous relationship. But part of the reason for that is because there's so much excitement around like the opportunity to explore things in a way that I can't, I don't feel comfortable exploring with somebody I don't really know like that. So I'm like, damn, if you are, have all these, like, if you're so repressed and you get into this monogamous relationship, you don't even get to explore and have fun and experience it the way that like people who don't have that sexual repression do. It just sounds like it sucks, basically. And then the homophobia. I don't even know if we got time to get into the homophobia, but that's like. Oh, uh, we there's always time to get into homophobia. I think that this idea that you can be, well, first of all, that sexual fulfillment is an objective in and of itself. I just don't find very many of the most prominent faith-based traditions that talk about sexual fulfillment as like a basic fundamental human need or desire even though we see it animating so many of the stories we even see in the bible the lust the desire we don't see very much about what to do with it and we don't see kind of this far-reaching vehement repudiation of homosexuality that we see articulated by people in the Bible. We just don't see it. So it begs the question, where does homophobia come from and what animates mm. And for me, homophobia is really central to these other ideas about the family structure, the family unit, and male supremacy and domination over all of it. And because otherwise I can't understand what the utility of homophobia is. I can't understand what the ideological precursors are. Like what ideas do you have to believe first before you arrive at a homophobia? I mean, first you have to believe that sexual gratification is not worthwhile in pursuing and to pursue it is something is, is an abomination in and of itself. And then you have to believe that love and affection for someone because they have the same gender as you is somehow harmful. To what does it harm? Well, it harms procreation. It harms reproduction. It harms the family structure, the family unit. It harms society. And so you're like, ah, I see. So this idea, these ideas are based on things that are just fundamentally not true. That people of the same gender don't have children, don't raise children. We know that's not true, but some people don't, right? <laughs> they really believe that if, just because you're in a same gender loving dynamic, it means that you do not have the possibility of having children and you won't. <laughs> I just feel like 
homophobia has everything to do with the manufacture of these family structures and units headed by men that are under the submission of the church and under the submission of the state. So really it's a power structure that is being protected from disruption and homophobia is understood to be a disruption to that. And really it's a, it's a disruption to very foundational beliefs, very foundational structures and belief systems. And so, yeah, there's always time to talk about homophobia because it's one of many strategies that exist to protect these ideas about nuclear family, these, ide- these ideas about heteronormativity and male-centered beliefs in societies and cultures. I think that it's really important to understand that sexual repression is, is really, really important to get to a homophobia. It's really important to get to a heteronormativity. All of these things are inextricably linked. And it's really important that when we're discussing one, we understand that we're really talking about the other. Mm. me. what about you? Any thoughts on sexual repression and how that leads us down a pathway to homophobia? I was going to give a real messy shout out, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Actually, I am going to do it. Shout out to Bishop Eddie Long. Uh, not Eddie Long. I'm going to do it. Fuck it. I'm going to do it. Because from my understanding, he was someone who was quite homophobic uh, during his time when we later... But anyway, go ahead, beat me. Any thoughts? Yeah, I the, I just... I think that there's just a lot of shame. Uh, and I think Jud said a lot that was definitely akin to some of the sentiments that I felt as well. I did just also want to add like this element of shame, uh, this element of you having to perform your gender in a particular type of way that then forces people to have to adopt these ideals and some of this rhetoric that is completely antithetical to what they actually really might believe all just because like they have to fit in i think that's probably like one of the most insidious parts of religion when i've seen it in action is the way that it forces people to contort themselves and to like contradict themselves and to represent the very things that would be antithetical to their existence. Um, And the way that it convinces you that you're doing it in the name of one God or the other, and that there's some type of reward at the end of the day for what you're doing. So, yeah, it's pretty disgusting. I know I sound like all removed from it and like I've risen above, but I definitely (laughs) still be having my struggles. I don't think you grow up indoctrinated for over two decades and then in the span of a couple of years just become this like wildly liberated sexual being who's ready to take on the world. No, definitely not. I still have a lot of really conservative ideas, some of which are just rooted in personality and others, which I'm sure I can trace back to my upbringing and my religious upbringing. But yeah, I think it's just important to like start questioning and start challenging some of those things and just free yourself, queens. (laughs) We want to see y'all free yourselves from the binds of soul ties and purity culture because there's no winning that game. You'll never be pure enough 
<laughs> you'll never, and you really do nothing but like. You're doused in sin. Yeah, you do nothing but limit your own sexual liberation, fulfillment, enjoyment. And yeah, hopefully there's some folks who are listening who start unpacking some of that. And some um, people feel that sexual enjoyment is a small price to pay to receive spiritual enlightenment, to gain access to heaven. Some of us live a sexually repressed life on earth and then we get to go and have access to virgins on the other side. Mm. So, I mean, for some of us, we're weighing, we're weighing different costs and different benefits. I can appreciate that, that some of us are living through a faith-based tradition that's saying, listen, if you adhere to these sexually repressive requirements, then you get a church community here on earth. You get a stable home life. You get a husband that will provide for you materially. Get, you know what I mean? These are the things that were promised. I was promised in order for me to live a sexually repressed resistance to never experience same gender loving or or a, a gender identity that actually felt good to me. It felt right to me. It didn't feel restrictive to me. I just want to say that some of us are offered these things and they seem as though it's a worthwhile gamble, right? Like I'd rather just restrict myself sexually because, and by the way, when you're a virgin and you don't know anything about sex, you don't know what it's like to be in your body and have it be a safe, comfortable place to be because you're always taught that your body is wrong and dirty and sinful, right? You're always taught that. You don't know anything about what it's like to be at home within yourself. Being mm-hmm. off these things and being told to sacrifice these things from the time you're born into adulthood, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know what you're losing and what you're leaving behind. And keep in mind the segregation between mm-hmm. ourselves and the people who are living their truest selves and are very much at home within themselves. There's so much distance created between those of us who are living sexually repressed, heteronormative lives, and those of us who are living the true depth and scope of who we are. So I just wanted to say that's heavy, right? That's really heavy. The reality that we don't know what we're missing out on. And so it's an easy thing to give up if we're being called to do it for these kind of benefits that are being put in front of our face. Respect in the church community. John Gray, pastor of a mega church, buying his wife Hummers and Bentleys and Mercedes Benzes. She's like, hey, it's to me to deal with a man who's a philanderer and who's dishonest and who embarrasses me publicly. Smart price to pay to get to be in good with God and with the church community, being a long suffering woman, especially in the church, you get all of the compassion. You get all of the affirmation of the church community being a long suffering woman. So I just want to name that there are different cost benefit analyses going on here that determine how people are making their choices and decisions. And I just wanted to lift that up because I I got so many of y'all in mind as we're doing this episode. So I want us to also talk about some other things. So we talked a lot about sex and sexual repression. And I'll just end by saying, sis, your pastor is definitely cheating on his wife. So (laughs) there's no need to limit yourself. Oh my God. But anyway, know that. How you know that? I'm just saying. How you know that? I don't know. 
little birdie whispered in my ear. Um, shout out to John Gray. But the other thing we want to talk about that comes out of religion is this ideas around punishment. And part of this is ties into sexual repression, but then there are also these other branches of this, the tree of punishment. One of which is, I think at the very core, before we even get into things like domestic discipline, we'll talk about what that is and disciplining children, this idea of submission, right? So every other day, there is some woman or man on some podcast, some television show, some clubhouse stage, some Instagram uh, feed, some Twitter thread, who is talking about this idea of submission. Something that comes out of the, I want to say the Christian faith or belief. And this is- The Puritans. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting, what I find to be most interesting, I would love to hear you all's thoughts on like submission and punishment. Um, What I find to be most interesting is that oftentimes people are really committed to referring to their partnerships, referring to their relationships as submissive, right? Like I submit to my husband, my wife submits to me. Mm. But once they start describing the relationship, they actually describe what's a partnership. Because submission is, in fact, yielding to a higher authority, right? People are really uncomfortable with the actual definition of submission and what it entails. But something about religion forces people into this place where they feel like they have to label their relationships as one defined by being submissive. But when we actually get down to the nitty gritty, when we start talking about decision-making, parenting, household duties, et cetera, people start describing something that really looks much closer to partnership, but there's an aversion to labeling, particularly amongst those who are religious, there's an aversion to labeling your relationship as one of one that's a partnership. And instead, people are really fixated on this idea of I'm the net, key to head, net, tail to head. <laughs> but anyway, I want to hear your thoughts, Asia and B to me, about submission. B to me, you going to be submitting, girl? Submit to what? How much money does he have? Mm. <laughs> Child, I don't even. Submission is not in my vocabulary. It's Such not. Vocabulary. <laughs> what, if was, what if he was a billionaire and he said, I but got- What does it mean to submit to a billionaire? What am I submitting to? He makes the decisions. But does that mean I'm submitting? Yes. He makes the decisions about what? Everything. Because if I'm to be partnered or paired up with a billionaire. I didn't say nothing about a partnership. I said submitting to this billionaire who makes all the decisions about everything. What you gonna well, do? Well, look, look. You ain't never got to work a day in your life. You can have every item you ever wanted. You can live the That's not my lifestyle. Life. That's not my lifestyle. So I don't know. That's not my lifestyle. So you would turn it down? Yeah. My autonomy autonomy (laughs) is not worth it. (laughs) No, thank you. There definitely is a price on my autonomy. It's a high price, but a high price, and that is not worth it. Because (laughs) let's be honest about it. Like if I handle my business and if I work hard enough, I could have all those things that this so-called millionaire or this high value man is providing for me anyways. 
So what am I saying? You cannot to? have all the things that a billionaire is going to provide you. It's not enough hard work in this planet. But the part that... So listen, y'all. The part that... Zinni's a hair enemy of progress. We see you. <laughs> we see you. Enemy of progress. <laughs> is that me? I am an enemy of progress. Okay, One but listen, y'all. This, this is the thing. This is the thing. And I'm sure y'all have noticed as well, the same proponents of submission spend all of their goddamn time talking to people who are not interested in submission. Why don't y'all submit niggas, find other submitting niggas, and live in submission heaven and leave everybody else the hell alone? Y'all be out here trying to raise people who not interested in that shit to come and join you in your hell on earth. If it was so great, if it was so great, you wouldn't have to talk to me or anybody else about doing it. It would be like, it would be like, wait, nobody had to come and sell AAA to me. AAA Why to be a hell on earth? What is that? I'm just saying that if it offers some benefit, you can have my money every month, like AAA. I'm looking at my AAA bill right now. I just got my renewed membership. So all I'm saying is motherfuckers will take you up on benefits that make sense. And when the benefit doesn't make sense, you're going to spend all your time talking to people who are going to ignore you and continue doing what they were doing before you said anything. I'm going to go on mute. Submission is trash. I just, I don't think anyone is a higher Submission is slavery. I said it. That was beating me. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) Yeah, I just think (laughs) submission is trash. I don't believe that anyone is a higher authority than me because they were born with an ex- is it XX, XY? I don't know what chromosome men have. I don't believe that anyone's a higher authority than me just because they were, they're a man. They identify as a man and I identify as a woman. I am solely interested in being in a partnership where my ideas, my thoughts, my beliefs are respected, where we compromise. Zimmy, they um, don't... <laughs> see, this is why niggas don't all the good things. They don't care but, about none of that. They don't but, care about none of that. If you make a certain amount of money... We can talk about it. Toxic femininity. Talk about what are you talking about? If you are a billionaire (laughs) with a boat (laughs) and you're looking for a hoe, let me stop. I mean, you're being a Jezebel. Not a Jezebel. I thought you were going to say I was being a pick me shot. No, you're being a Jezebel. This is not what it's Yeah. You know that thing on Instagram where it's like, it's never been my thing. I'm not really into it. That's how I feel about submission. It's just like, what would I have? Why can I be? I've made good decisions for myself my entire life. Why would I all of a sudden decide that I need somebody else to make decisions for me? Am I because you are to be Come led. Where are we going? You want to be led. We so don't weird. know where we're going, but you're to be led and you're no. supposed to blindly follow. No, it's a no for me. It's just, it's just a no for me. Even if I was with somebody who was this is y'all Christian woman. This is the woman who comes up on this podcast every day and lectures us about how we're heathens. When have I ever lectured anyone about being a heathen? Anyways, as I was saying, (laughs) as always, as As I was saying. This is y'all queen mother. Period. Um, Big Christian Misandrous energy. Wait, can you be a Christian? 
Sandra's. No, Zimmy. We gotta talk about this. I'm sorry, Zimmy. This is gonna be the awkward. This is gonna be the awkward moment on the podcast, y'all. My white cloth has really set in, and Zimmy, I gotta tell you that it is a total contradiction to be a Miss Anderson a Christian. The Christian tradition is is male centered by definition. Being Christ like is being Christ like. Okay. And so if you really want us to take your misandry seriously, we're going to have to talk about how you make it make sense when it comes to not being male-centered and yet being male-centered. I'm going to go on mute. So essentially what you're saying is I have to pick Christianity or misandry. Yes, you do. I pick Jesus. Very easy choice. Thank you so much for the opportunity to make the selection. And now we can move forward. You see how you feel? All right, moving right along. Y'all love God. Zimmy, go ahead and go go ahead and turn in your credentials, turn in your security passes, turn in your family. I lost access to the Misandry Lounge at the airport. You You will not be welcome in the Misandry Lounge. But you know where I will always be welcome because a Christian never turns their back on a brother or sister in Christ. That's right. What you had for my downfall, God was working out for my good. And see, this is the problem. No, this is the problem with Christians. Me shall this, is, this is the problem with Christians. They <laughs> provide this environment of uh, toxic positivity where every bad thing is just a good thing in hiding. Oh, okay. So I think three of us can agree. We all think submission is trash. On a serious note, I do want people to unpack that, right? Particularly women who are super wrapped up in the I'm the neck. And this weird, this rib, why I always, my this rib. Is, Y'all ain't talk about the rib. So on a serious note, this is why I actually always make fun of the neck and head thing. I know I'm constantly clowning you necks, but it's because I, I don't even give the ribs any thought because come on. The reason I always make fun of the next is because that analogy, I think it's an analogy that people use of like, I'm the neck, he's the head of the household, but the neck controls the head. It's like, why do you feel the need to even assert that you have some kind of position of power in the relationship? Ain't you supposed to be submitting, sis? Why do you need to have any control over what the head does? Because inherently, y'all know that shit is fucked up. You know it's fucked up to be in a relationship where you don't have no say, no power, no well, there's no concession. No say, sister Zimmy, the divine feminine girl gives you beating, say. Beating me, go ahead and log off for me, sweetie. <laughs> but I'm serious. That is literally the reason why I'm always clowning women who do that next shit. Because I'm like, where's that coming from? Aren't you supposed to be like listening to the head? That like, what is all this? But I'm really the one with the secret power. No, you're not. You're saying that you're yielding to a higher authority. Own that shit. Either own it or get out, right? This halfway shit that they want to do with the like, I'm the neck. No. My red. Well, one thing that's true is that the head can't turn without the neck. And so, Zimmy, the part that they're trying to get you to understand, overstand. Third eye, third eye, third eye. You see, your penile gland is calcified, Zimmy. And what we need you to do is alkaline your water with lemon <laughs> so that you can overstand what we're trying to tell you. <laughs> and if you did, you would know the head can't turn without the neck and therefore the neck is not superior. I mean, the head is not superior to the neck. It relies 
on the neck. Can I get an amen? Can amen. I get a praise? No. I say amen. I say no. amen. But again, Asia, but do you know, remember the first point I made? Preach, People preach say up. they want submission, but they describe partnership, right? That's that head and neck shit, right? Like what you're really describing is we're in a relationship where we need each other and we make decisions and move together. You don't understand. So, yeah, I think no. it's super goofy. Like, if you're going to be, I respect the women who are like, I submit to my king, whatever my king says goes, my man, my man, my man. I respect those women, right? Because there's some consistency there. I can't respect them because they look silly when they don't get picked doing all that. Oh. Doing all of them oh. gymnastics. I was talking about the ones that already didn't pick. Doing all them pick me gymnastics like and wait, then they wait, still don't wait. get picked. Wait, Come Asia, on. Asia, hold on. Let me ask me something. Like who? Like the woman who told a room full of black people that 19 million black babies were aborted last year. See, we ain't getting like the woman. Um, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. 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 A lot of pick me be, be not a lot, but some of these no, women. No, but, be but, but these are the women who got picked. These are the women who got picked. The women who got picked are telling women that if they're over 30 and they're not already engaged or married, sis, what are you doing with your life? No, like the pick, the ones who have gotten picked, they're even worse than the ones who haven't been picked. Like, let's Well, not... shout out to all the next picked and unpicked. We hate to see it. We also want to talk about, along with this idea of submission, comes this idea of domestic discipline. For those of you who don't know what domestic discipline is, there are a group of religious folks who believe that it is appropriate to discipline, like physically discipline. Not always physically, but it can include physical discipline. Physically disciplining your spouse. The spouse that's being disciplined is typically the woman. And... The other part of this idea of Christianity and punishment, in addition to domestic discipline, is also like disciplining children, right? And the number of Christian folks who physically discipline their children, right? That's just this common thread that, that tends to run through a lot of religions is this idea that you can be physically, well, I was going to say abusive, that you can be, that you can physically discipline people who are family whether it be spouses, children, et cetera. What do y'all think of that? Well, I don't know any system of oppression that hasn't relied heavily on violence. Mm. I'm not surprised to hear of this reinvention of corporal punishment as domestic discipline, as this reliance on physical violence to reprimand and maintain a structure of power. I'm always shocked to hear physical discipline as being described as something that's somehow apart from this tradition of reliance on physical violence to maintain a structure of power. I'm always shocked to hear people assert that physical discipline is somehow beneficial to the one being physically disciplined, which is usually a wife. And so I'm trying to wrap my mind around all the gymnastics that people are doing to make this make any manner of sense, to portray this as something that's good and beneficial to family. And if it is good and beneficial to family, then family isn't good and beneficial. <laughs> okay. So I just want everybody to understand that you forfeit 
any authority to say both things. You cannot say that physical discipline is essential to family and then want to say family is something we should all aspire to. Beat me, what are your thoughts? I think I must say that when it comes to uh, domestic discipline and intimate partner violence, I think I do find it really interesting how it's something that just so happens to be consistent in these religions where there's supposed to be a whole lot of morality, where there's supposed to be a lot of security. I think that it is interesting too how when you do go to different parts of the world, you begin to see how like this particular type of partner violence is codified and how socially like people are, they're supposed to accept it because there's there's this whole thing about how like men are supposed to be the head of the households and men are supposed to do this and men are supposed to do that. That's established by religion and also in some cultural aspects established as well. Um, And it kind of just comes together to form this like big oppressive thing where everybody else in the community just has to shut up and take it. So when I think about like domestic discipline and like intimate partner violence, I think about all of the ways that it affects people who are not just directly involved in that intimate relationship, but who are maybe just like in proximity to it, maybe people who are family members, maybe children and things like that. And the way that like societies in different parts of the world reinforce it because of this like moral compass based idea that men are like the moral leaders and they're supposed to know everything and everybody else is just supposed to follow. Yeah, I mean, all of that, what you all just said for definitely rings true for me around domestic discipline. I think the piece that I find even more troubling, because to some extent, I don't even want to say what adults do, because we're actually really oftentimes talking about abuse. And so even this idea of like, well, adults can consent, that it's a little more nuanced and complex than that. But what I do find especially troubling is how often people rely on that biblical verse. I don't know what part of the Bible it's in, but it says something like, spare the rod, spoil the child. And how often people draw on that in order to justify disciplining children, physically disciplining children, corporal punishment, etc. I don't think my parents ever drew on that when I was getting disciplined. Did they? I don't think they did. Um, <laughs> But as someone who, and we maybe want to have an episode about this someday, but as someone who does not believe in physically hitting children or disciplining children in any way, shape, or form, I think one of the most troubling aspects of the ways that Christians, I'm speaking for Christians, that's what I'm most familiar with. I'm sure it happens in other religions as well. But the justification of what's sometimes abuse and other times just poor parental practice how that gets justified through religious texts, such as the like, spare the rod, spoil the child type stuff. And there just seems to be this overarching theme in a lot of religions that it's, even though it's supposed to be about love, love your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. So much of it seems to be tied up in punishment, whether it be punishing women via submission, because yes, queens, that is a punishment, 
punishing partners via domestic discipline, which is really just intimate partner violence, or punishing children through physical discipline or corporal punishment. That's probably the most concerning, I would say, aspect. One of the most concerning aspects of the way in which I see the ways in which people practice religions, religion that I find to be really troubling. But what's disturbing to me, Zimmy, is the disparity. What How men are out here complaining about having to deal with women not giving them sex on demand. There was a whole conversation I was a part of about whether or not men should be free to end a marriage without any consequence onto them if their wife was not providing sexual gratification. Uh And that was shocking to me because meanwhile, while women are out here dealing with things like domestic discipline, y'all are out here upset about not getting your sexual needs met. It's never commiserate, right? The outrage we hear from men about what they have to deal with in marriages and relationships and what women are faithful. And it always blows my mind. I just want people to stop and take a step back and put these things in their proper historical, political, economic context that we're not all dealing with the same set of circumstances and consequences for these issues. And part of our solutions, which is to just not be married, to be same gender loving, to be polyamorous, right? These solutions that we've come up with to live lives truer to ourselves, more ethical, less based in punishment and abuse paradigms, we would find a world more just, more equitable, but unfortunately less male-centered. And what some of you are communicating to us is that if the world ain't male-centered, you don't want it. You will let the whole world just burn to the ground if it's not about you and your desires being met. And I wish y'all would just say that so we could stop having these conversations and pretend that they're really about family, that they're really about women and children. Because they're not. They're not. I think that there's just a lot of maneuvering. There's a lot of PR campaigns going on to make things like submission and domestic discipline seem like something other than what they really are. And it's with purpose and intention that these things aren't being named named for a repressive and oppressive um, objectives that are in mind. What about you, Bidini? Any final thoughts from you around sexual repression or punishment and the role that religion has played in both? And really how they're intertwined because you have to convince people that they're going to be punished in order to dissuade them from engaging in sex, thus the sexual repression. Yeah, it it sucks. There's nothing else to say than that. It sucks. I'm actually really grateful for this episode. I feel like my religious trajectory is something that I give a lot of thought to. And I think back to 23, 24-year-old me who was like, 
very sexually repressed, constantly feeling guilty <laughs> about sex and men and had a lot of, but I will say even the 22 wasn't going to submit to nobody and shout out to me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew back then it was some bullshit. I'm just, I'm really grateful for the amount of learning and growth that I've had in the, I, I'm, it's funny because sometimes I listen to women or I'll talk to women and I'll listen to them talk about like where they are. These are women who still identify as like Christian. And my heart often breaks for a lot of them because I recognize so much of where they are now in their 30s is like 21, 22 year old me. And indoctrination is something that's really difficult to come out from. I hope that this episode can be like a starting point for someone who is still kind of grappling with what does it mean to be a Christian and what do I do with my sexuality and how do I think about punishment? I hope that this episode like begins a new part of your journey because there's so much out there on the other side. There's so much more liberation and freedom. And the importance of physical touch, y'all, that's a real thing. We need physical intimacy and physical touch. There's so much out there to learn about how you don't have to be physically abusive towards people. My hope for my good, good, good sisters out there is that you just recognize that there's nothing wrong with wanting intimacy. There's nothing wrong with wanting physical touch. There's nothing wrong with wanting sex. Like all of those things are natural. So that, that's my concluding thought. Y'all want to talk about Someone who is doing it as we get into our Ain't I Doing It segment. Do we have any queens and kings that we want to shout out for doing the Lord's work on this here? This here Tuesday. Uh-uh, this is not my segment. I'm just here to drag niggas. You know what? Mm -mm. I, I never have any positive uplift in nothings because I'm just here to drag niggas. If you let God in your life, you would. I don't want God. Mm -hmm. I want Satan. You'd have something more positive to say. I mm -hmm. want Satan. That's right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Heathens united. Not heathens. Shout out to Erica Campbell for um, I love God, you don't love God. <laughs> <laughs> I love God. <laughs> you know? That shit, that's a classic. Um, it's never Shout out to all the black women who are doing black theology and liber, liber what is it, theological liberate, liberatory, the whatever it's called. I it's actually, I want to give a special shout out to, uh, I want to shout out all of the single mothers. I want to shout out to all of the women who have been called masculine. I want to give a huge shout out to gang gang shit. The, a lot of gang shit. To the black women who just take vacations with their friends gang, and who are not interested in entertaining niggas. I want to all the women who don't post men on their Instagram. Pages. Hello! <laughs> gang, gang. <laughs> a lot of gang shit. I want to shout out to the women who got the degrees, the women who got their biz night eases. Is that degrees like more than one? Mm -hmm. You lonely degree having more. <laughs> so I want to give a huge shout out to all of the Black women who, despite the nonsense, despite the bullshit, 
Y'all are still doing the damn thing. And I want you to know that you are valued. You are special. You are appreciated. To the Black women who don't feel like they fit in anywhere, to the Black women who feel like they're too loud, to the Black women who feel like they're just too much, I see you. And I think you're super dope. Yes. Can, can I give, a, for our Anna doing it, in addition to all the Black women, degreed up, traveled up, girls trips, gang gang, in addition to them, I also want to shout out the Reverend Ebony Marshall Truman, who is an associate professor of theology and African-American religion at Yale University Divinity School. Ebony is dope. I got to hear her speak back in the day when I was a graduate student. And I don't know if Ebony considers herself a Black battle hole feminist. I surely would consider her one. And just, I want to shout out the women who are still practicing, still part of the religion, but really doing some like radical shit within it. Really like trying to trying to move things in a different direction. We see you queens and we appreciate you literally doing the Lord's work. So shout out to Professor Ebony Marshall Truman, Professor at Yale. And shout out to the Black free thinkers, the Black secularists, the Black atheists, the Black agnostics. Fuck them atheists. (laughs) We love you. You've definitely provided us so much through your dissent, through your rejection of adherence to religious doctrines. Even Zimmy would not be possible. Her ideological position would not be possible if it was not for the ideological labor that you all did. Shout out to you. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. And on that note, who's out? We're out. ECB out. LCP, Lodi Coochie, police. LCP. ECB out. Bye, y'all. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Should we just leave the recording? Yeah, we throw a Okay. That was such a good episode, guys.